listening to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. The COVID count today hit 1,500 cases. It is something that was feared going into the holiday. This morning, we checked in with the state health department. Contact tracing seems like mission impossible. We talked to Teli Matangi, a contact tracer working with Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander and other affected communities. How are you able to keep up with all this contact tracing? It just seems impossible. Well, it, it is a lot, and I have to say we're doing the best that we can. Usually we give people, you know, we call three times. Now we're having to take it down to one call. We leave a message. Hopefully they get back in touch with us, and we're just trying to reach as many people possible. The other thing is we take a look at who needs the call the most. So are they from a community that is marginalized or do they have uh, pre-existing health conditions? Do they attend school? So these are all things that would move someone, move someone up to, um, on the list in order to ensure that they get the call and the support that they need. And I know the Department of Health just recently signed a contract with, I believe it's Omnitrack, to help out with the contact tracing. Uh, and I believe they're like the front line. They're making those initial calls. Yeah, so they make the initial call. They ask them for basic information. Super helpful if we can get that in the beginning. Again, because then that allows us to know who needs to be followed up with first, you know, based on if they have pre-existing health conditions, if they're attending school, are they a part of a community that's been overly affected by COVID-19? What's going on in the home that would require us to give them the additional support necessary to ensure that they do well while they have COVID-19? And you yourself have been working very closely with the Native Hawaiian groups that have been impacted. Um, you know, what what can you tell us about the vaccine rates as you've reached out to these communities? Those who wanted to get vaccinated were vaccinated very quickly. Those who have who lack the confidence in the vaccine or who are questioning it, they've been a little bit harder. But we've been able to go out. We've been able to. T- speak to them. We've reached out to trusted messengers. We're doing everything we can, including hiring people from the community, making sure that we have staff that speak the language and who are culturally competent, who understand the situation that Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders are experiencing in the state of Hawaii. And then also when we hold vaccination clinics, we do it in their communities. So we meet the community where they're at to ensure that every opportunity possible is given to them to either test and or vaccinate. Right. And so you folks have been reaching out to the Micronesian community, the, you know, the Chukis, the Marshallese, the Filipino, the Filipino community has been hit hard. Yes, we've also been working with Philcom. So Philcom has a COVID team and they've been hosting community pods. They've had um, radiothons. They've done an awesome job getting out into the Filipino community and helping them out. And what about the booster shot, the the rates for that? How's that been going? We're lacking a little bit on booster shots. I think that's because when the numbers started to go down, everyone got comfortable. So we need to start making sure, and that's why we're pushing vaccination clinics and pods. These are 
vaccination clinics that we have in the community. So we're trying to make it more accessible. We have it at times, not necessarily nine to five, but we'll actually do like four to eight so that we can get people during times either when they're going to work or when they're coming home or on their days off. We also are meeting them in churches. So oftentimes we have a church who will reach out and say, hey, we'd like to get booster shots or vaccinate our um, our congregation. What can you do? We'll, we'll bring a medical provider out to the church and we'll meet them there. We want to make getting vaccinated as easy as possible. Is there anything that you've got planned for today or tomorrow that we can get, help get the word out on that you're aware of? I know that the Marshallese Community Association of Hawaii is having a toy drive today, so they're getting out into their community. I believe that one is by invitation only, and the best way really to find those events are on COVID-19 dashboard, hawaiicovid19.com, and you can hit on vaccines, and that'll take you to all available uh, vaccination clinics that are going on today. Okay, because I know a lot of the uh, uh, places are are uh, experiencing long lines just because people are, right. are getting a little nervous about this uh, surge. And we're trying to set up more, unfortunately, because it is the holidays, you know, people, and we're experiencing fatigue. We have a lot of people who have been doing this for a long time, and they need a break. But we're setting up as many as we can, as quickly as we can, and we're getting the staff out there. So there's a lot of work being done by a lot of great people. But it seems, though, with the numbers, you know, you can't possibly keep up with a thousand new cases every single day. That's a true statement that it is very difficult. I think, though, that this is where we need to empower our communities to take care of themselves and to be proactive So that's why we're asking people to test regularly. That's why we're asking people to continue to mask. That's why we're reminding people during this holiday season, be safe. Take responsibility for your health and for your health journey. We know what works. And what works is social distancing, proper hygiene, washing your hands, um, wearing a mask, and if possible, gather outdoors. And also, if you're sick, stay home. Right now is the time to recognize that, yes, you may miss one party, but we'd rather you miss one party than for you to go sick and to give someone COVID because you never know how that person is going to react. And that's not something where we say lightly or we're trying to scare people, but this is the reality of a of the disease, and that is some people do really well with it. They have flu-like symptoms, they get over it, but others don't. Why would we want to put our families at risk? I know the health department you know, has said that they just can't possibly also keep up with the testing on the Omicron uh, uh, variant, uh, but it's safe to say that it's out there. You know, They're already buying some cases on the it's- neighbor islands. Yeah, I was going to say it's out there, it's in the community, just looking at how quickly it's spreading, paying attention to what's happening in other places. We can safely say that Omicron is out there. And again, this means that we just have to adjust what we're doing um, and we need to be careful and we need to be thoughtful in our interactions with others. Not everybody can get vaccinated for whatever reason. And if they can't get vaccinated, it's our responsibility to do what we can to protect them. And have you heard from uh, uh, Omnitrack? I mean, are they uh, having more trouble reaching 
those positive cases? Are people cooperating? Everybody's at COVID fatigue. So yes, we are having more difficulty in reaching people or having them cooperate. What we need people to understand is when the Department of Health or or our first um, contact callers call Omnitrax, we're not there to judge anyone. We're not there to punish anyone. What we need to do is we need to gather any pertinent information you have so that we can assist you through the process. We're all community members. We all care about what's happening to you and to the community. So working with us allows you or allows us to help you through the process. We can tell you what your isolation dates are. We can call and check on you every day, which means if you're not feeling well and you're not sure if those symptoms are something that you need to go to the doctor for, we can help you walk you through that that process. The other thing that we're able to do is if there's resources available, we can get you in touch with resources in your area. So that way, if you've tested positive and you're unable to leave the home, we may be able to assist you with food. If you are currently in a situation, a living situation, where you can't isolate or quarantine safely, then we may be able to assist you with that as well. Otherwise, the other thing that we can do is we can say, this is what you need to do. As much as possible, separate from those in the home who have not tested positive. Have your own area. Wear a mask whenever you have to walk through shared spaces. Practice good hygiene, so wash your hands. Have cleaning supplies available and make sure that you're monitoring your symptoms so that that way you do better in the end. And again, you can get the help necessary to ensure that you do well with COVID-19. That was Telly Matangi, a contact tracer with the State Health Department. She works with the Native Hawaiian and Pacific Island communities adversely affected by the COVID-19 virus. For links to the DOH website about the upcoming clinics, head to our website later today. It is now time for our reality check with our partners at Honolulu Civil Beat. Has Omicron become the dominant strain in our state? Editor Chad Blair joins us to talk about that. Good morning, Chad. Good morning, Catherine. So the story that we're talking about is by Anita Hofschneider. Right. Anita cannot be here today because guess what? She's covering a um, sort of last-minute press conference, which started a few minutes ago with Dr. Libby Char in the Department of Health, clearly in response to the numbers that came out just a few hours ago, 1,511 cases reported of COVID. And yes, to answer your question, it seems very likely if it hasn't already become the dominant variant of COVID-19 in the islands, uh, Omicron is very likely to replace Delta, uh, certainly very shortly. Nationwide, the CDC is reporting that it's already 73% of cases, comprises 73% of COVID cases, Omicron does. And and we are seeing it uh, here in the islands. Yes. And, you know, initially it was a bit of a head scratcher because we saw this like immediate spike. But then the reporting numbers from DOH was still really small, like 50 and then was up to 74 but yeah, I think 74 on Wednesday. The, the thing that's so different about Omicron compared to Delta is it, it's it's highly transmissible. And according to Anita's reporting, you can see a doubling in a very short time. I mean, just, just yesterday we were reporting statewide 
961 cases total of COVID in the uh, in Hawaii. And as I mentioned earlier, that's 1,511. Now, not quite a doubling, but very clearly a dramatic jump. Um, the state laboratories for the Department of Health uh, is looking at the neighbor islands, particularly Maui County, Hawaii County, to see if it can use genome sequencing to determine whether Omicron has spread uh, to those counties. But yes, so far it has been confined to Oahu, which is where the bulk of COVID cases are, obviously because of the population numbers here. Yeah. And when I talked to the health department, I know they were saying, you know, the sequencing, it takes some time and they don't test Mm -hmm. every single case that comes along. They can only do a small percentage because it is pretty kind of tedious. It is. And and that was something that Ed Desmond, who runs the labs for the the Department of Health, uh, told, uh, said in a press conference, spoke with Anita. And, uh, you know, but the fact that it's also doubling every two to three days, in this case, the Omicron variants, that also really throws a wrench in the whole thing, trying to keep keep track of the numbers of where this thing is going. But um, clearly, we've shifted into a new arena just in the last few days. Your guest earlier, the contact tracer advising folks. Uh, and this is the advice that the Department of Health, that the governor, that the mayors, the counties are all advising, hey, it's time. Get your vaccination. Get your booster if you haven't already done so. By the way, it's Christmas and people are at the malls. People are at homes and, and celebrating together. There's no more critical time than now to practice uh, safety precautions. And of course, New Year's Eve follows next week. Right. And, and uh, you know, while the uh, symptoms may be milder than Delta, mm, the right. concern, right, is the the hospital census is that uh, we've already got just lots of regular sick patients in the hospitals and they don't have much a wiggle room for an onslaught of COVID cases in the next week or so. No. And, and of course, we do know that there are people that are, have been breakthrough cases as well, which makes some people say, well, heck, what do you need the vaccine for? What do you need the booster for if you're going to get sick anyway? Well, in fact, you can help prevent a severe disease. By the way, one health official actually, if this characterizes it correctly, uh, Omicron is spreading like wildfire compared to Delta. That's a sort of a, a nice way or a troubling way to illustrate how different Omicron is than Delta. But you're right in terms of its morbidity rates. So far, anyway, we haven't seen quite the numbers of, of deaths, severe hospitalizations, but uh, this virus seems to be mutating as well. Right. So it's kind of a dark cloud over our new mm. year as we head into this, what will be our third year, I guess, of, of this pandemic. And uh, <laughs> we should mention that uh, this afternoon, Honolulu Mayor Rick Bangiardi is calling his news conference. He was supposed to uh, call it yesterday, and I guess they put it off to see what the numbers were. So uh, we'll see because I think there's a lot of pressure uh, on him to, you know, do you roll back the, uh, or, yeah, or put yeah. those restrictions back in? Because we just rolled it back a couple of weeks ago. Yes, we sure did. So well, that, I'm pretty sure, will be the headline uh, tomorrow and, uh, and tonight as well on TV and, and online publications uh, about whether we are going to shift back. So far, there isn't that indication, but everybody's asking given the new numbers. Right, right. Yeah, something to uh, be wary of as we uh, uh, celebrate the holidays. But you stay safe, Chad Blair. <laughs> <laughs> you too, Catherine. Take okay. care. All right. We have been talking to uh, Civil Beats Politics and Opinion Editor Chad Blair with today's reality check. To read Anita Hofschneider's story, visit civilbeat.org.
what I did on my Hawaiian vacation. Got the Mac nuts and the coffee and picked up COVID, too. Well, that happened to more than a couple of international travelers this week. We talked to Jessica Lonnie Rich of VASH, the Visitor Aloha Society of Hawaii, about this troubling sign of the times. What's happening at Visitor Aloha Society of Hawaii is we are seeing an increase in visitors who are testing positive for COVID. In the last six days, we have gotten seven visitors who tested positive. And what I mean by gotten is that these visitors have called us for assistance. They were here on vacation. They were taking a test in order to return to their home country, you know, 72 hours before returning home. And lo and behold, they tested positive for COVID. And so, you know, these travelers, are these domestic travelers, international travelers? Well, the seven cases that we have now with the COVID-positive visitors, one is from Germany, uh, two are from France, one is from Japan, uh, the other two are from the United States. So this is a bit of a dilemma, because if they're expecting to jump on a plane, they've got to stick around in quarantine. Exactly. And some of that dilemma, what that involves and what some of the visitors are telling us is that, hey, I wasn't planning to spend 10 more days in Hawaii. And the rates are high now because it is the holiday season. A lot of people travel to Hawaii during the Christmas season. And so it obviously puts a strain on their finances. Okay, so how are they being accommodated? I mean, if there, maybe there's no room at the inn because their room is being booked for somebody else. The visitors that we are assisting that have tested positive for COVID-19, they have been able to find hotel accommodations. And the few that did not have the funds had to contact relatives and friends back home who are helping them uh, to pay for their hotel rooms for the next 10 days. Because right now, uh, do we have uh, facilities that the state has set aside for for quarantine visitors? We do not have uh, a facility for visitors who test positive for COVID. The visitors who are testing positive for COVID, they just have to uh, call around. There are several hotels that we are working with. They ask that they not be identified. Um, And with those hotels, they are able to accommodate for now anyway the visitors that we are seeing who test positive for COVID-19. Wow so you know the uptick that we're seeing then is really just happening all over. I'm really surprised usually when VASH gets cases it's normally a theft on the beach, car break-ins, medical emergencies. We're still getting those cases but in addition to that I know when I'm getting a call you know I see caller ID that it's a hospital the last week, it's been less than a week, it's been, we have a COVID-positive visitor here. How can you help this person? What are you hearing from your counterparts on the on the other islands? You know, I haven't talked to them yet. I don't know if they're having the same, uh, the same challenges that we're having here on the island of Oahu, but we're seeing an increase, and I hope that it stops. And as of today, it's not. It's continuing we're continuing to see visitors who are testing positive for COVID-19. And as you mentioned, it's a challenge to find rooms probably because, you know, one, we're in the high holiday season, uh, the the rates are higher. We have the influx of, what is it, two to 3,000 military families down there in Waikiki as well? 
Exactly. And that's what the visitors are telling me. I'm calling around and the average, you know, some of the rooms per night are like $350. Uh, Of course, it varies. It depends on the type of hotel that you're staying at. But a lot of the visitors, when they come here, they're not ready financially uh, to pay $300 a night for the next 10 days. Right. So, you know, we're, we're actually, we are doing what we can to assist them. We're not paying for their rooms. Uh, you know, I've gotten a number of phone calls from hospital social workers who are reaching out to us and say, oh, are you going to be paying for COVID-positive patients? No. We are a small nonprofit agency. If a visitor has a medical situation, whether it's COVID-19 or anything else, they are personally responsible for that as well. Well, you know, here on Oahu, this is where we're seeing the surge and the high positivity rates. But, you know, I imagine, though, it's just going to be a matter of time um, as this spreads to the neighbor islands. Yes, and I'm glad that you brought that up because when I'm done talking to you, Catherine, I am going to be making a call to my neighbor island counterparts and seeing what's going on there as well. Okay. And then, uh, gosh, so just as far as in getting into this, you know, holiday season, we've got Christmas and then New Year's around the corner? Yeah, what we're doing at VASH, Catherine, because it is obviously the holiday season, and we, we, our heart goes out to those visitors who have tested positive for COVID-19. So in each of their cases, I have assigned a volunteer to check up on them every day, um, to let them know they're not alone, and to see what we can do to help them within our means. Right, because you're, like you mentioned, it's this volunteer support that is critical to your organization, volunteer donations. That's how you operate. Absolutely. I've let my staff off for the holidays so they can spend time with their families. I will be working over the holidays, and I plan on Christmas to deliver Christmas presents to our COVID-19 positive patients at the hotels that they're staying at. I want them to know that we care that that they're here, they're thousands of miles away from home, they weren't planning on catching COVID, but we want them to feel our aloha, especially on Christmas Day and during the holidays. And then because we have so many of those military families down there in Waikiki, uh, are you having to deal with any issues regarding um, uh, the military folks that have been displaced? No, uh, VASH has not, as of today, uh, been... We have not been contacted to deal with any of the military issues. Okay, so basically the command is taking care of their their folks. Yeah, fortunately, whenever there's a military situation, generally speaking, the military has been very good at taking care of their own people. All right. Okay, well, you stay safe this holiday. Thank you, Catherine. Happy holidays to you. And that was Jessica Lani Rich of the Visitor Aloha Society of Hawaii, who we talked to yesterday afternoon. She says every day this week, she's had a call from a visitor who has tested positive for COVID before getting on a plane to return home and now doesn't know what to do. We have reached out to uh, the Hawaii Tourism Authority, Hawaii Visitors Bureau, and the Lodging and Tourism Association, as well as the Health Department and the Hotel Workers Union who are all checking into it. Now, the State Safe Travels Program under the Department of Transportation says its authority is only with arriving passengers and not those departing the islands.
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson, investing in new ships, cranes, and terminal improvements to serve the needs of Hawaii communities for generations to come. Matson.com. All of us have spent time this year thinking about where we are and how we'll move forward. And in uncertain and chaotic times, the news, information, and music on HPR helps you do just that. There will be even more to figure out in 2022. Thanks to donations from listeners like you, HPR will be by your side no matter what the coming year brings. Donate now so we can all keep moving forward together. Join as a new member or make a year-end additional gift at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from PAR Hawaii, an energy company committed to supporting the community, supporting local nonprofits such as Make-A-Wish Hawaii, parhawaii.com. Singer-songwriter Ron Artis II is a name you may be familiar with. He's played shows in HPR's Atherton Performing Arts Studio, as well as here on The Conversation. He started playing piano at four years old, then picked up the guitar at 13, and he honed his skills performing around town in the Ron Artis Family Band. A few years ago, he relocated to Oregon, where he's raising his young family and continuing to create music. His most recent album, Purpose, was produced during the pandemic. The Conversations Lillian Song had the opportunity to catch up with Artis to learn more about how life under this pandemic is influencing his music. Role models growing up first were my parents. My father, Ron Artis, he uh, passed away about quite a few years ago. And then my mother, who's, who's still with us, Victoria Artis. And then I had a lot of teachers around. There was a good friend of mine who was a piano technician, Steve Primo. A friend of mine, Jurgen Klein, he's uh, more on the science side of things. Another friend, J.P. Smoke Train, was one of my first guitar teachers. And a good friend, Jerry Wanick, who's an artist and director at film and TV stuff. And through these close friends and family growing up, guided me through trying to understand how to face problems. You know, it seems to be a huge part of human nature to want to avoid problems or do everything right. And these role models who came into my life focused a view on you're not going to be able to avoid problems in your life, but you can be in charge of how you approach them or how you recover from them or uh, what kind of person you allow it to make you be. And those are some things that I really want to hold on to and pass on to my kids. And, and it's a major part inside of the music, meaning I gave, a, I gave a talk a while back. It was more of a speakeasy. And one of the questions to me were, do I believe in such a thing as bad emotions? And I don't. I don't believe in such a thing as bad emotions. It's necessary to express all of them. But what I really want to clarify is you can express all emotions from either a place of love or a place of destruction. And that's where the difference comes in. Navigating life, problems, loss, joy, all these things, we can express and experience those things from either a place of love or a place of pain or a place of, of hate. And that's something that I try to really spotlight in the songwriting is, as we go through our lives together, find ways to help someone through their path rather than put a stumbling block out, if you will. You speak from a place of deep understanding. It feels like 
you've really been able to help spread that positivity, that outlook. But at the same time, you're not an old sage. I mean, <laughs> you're still a millennial. I think so. Yeah, I'm only 35. And in that sense, though, you, you've packed a lot of life into your songwriting, into your art, into your music. But it does come from a place of just strong personal background because you had those influences of your dad and definitely your mom and then those wonderful mentors that were a regular part of your life. Yeah, and I want to echo on that. It's just, it's a great thing to reflect on. Nearly everyone in the world has someone in their life that sees something in them that they don't see in themselves. To clarify that, meaning what my parents saw in me as far as the pursuit of becoming a singer, which I didn't want to do. I, I loved playing instruments, and I just didn't believe that I could be a singer one day, and I was more focused on the instrumentation of music. And they saw that I should start the journey to be a singer and to just start. And that's one thing that's so amazing and powerful and out of my own power, of having different people come into my life that saw something in me I didn't see in myself. And a lot of us on this planet, we come through those kind of exchanges with people, friends, family, strangers, of someone who can say, I see something in you you should bring out. And we can choose to start that journey or we can brush it off. But I'm really grateful for the teachers who were in my life, for the musicians who were in my life, for the parents in my life, for just all these experiences. And talking about, you know, the, the wisdom, if you were how you said it, about that I want to lean towards or lean on, I unfortunately had really heavy experiences in my life. Of My wife and I were, were expecting our fifth child on the way. And before our first daughter was born, we actually lost a pregnancy, which a lot of people don't know. And like a few years before that, my father passed. And the year right before my father passed, my grandmother passed away, who was really close to me. And you sort of learn a lot from the emotions we naturally avoid, uh, loss, pain, and, and all those things. And it's an oversimplification, but it's the other half of life. That is so true. Life is a cycle. There is no, I mean, there is birth. Then you go through life, all the different stages, and ultimately the end of it is death. But because the generations following you, the people that you have touched or, you know, families, like for you, I see you as a branch with 10 yeah. siblings for you and your wife, Julia, to go through the pain of losing your first, but to know that life will continue. And as a family unit, you guys are so strong. You've been blessed with other children. Yeah, life is a journey. And out of unspeakable pains, sometimes the most beautiful things can happen. You know, um, there's been a lot of people who are just done talking about COVID. But, uh, you know, um, the third one of my direct siblings are dealing with it right now. And it's like, it's something, it's a reality that we're all navigating. And we're trying to get through this. And being in the arts in this season... There's a struggle with trying to find a way to share music, share art, because art 
it has a huge element of hopefulness, of sharing it, of blossoming it, and and collectiveness of getting people together and and being able to share that. And it's been a struggle these last two years being able to do that outside of a screen. <laughs> and I'm really grateful that you know we have this one show coming up January 1st at the Hawaii Theater. I'm really grateful that. You know, they've taken so many precautions to try to create an environment to share in this moment, which is just, I'm just more than honored to be able to be a part of. This season of COVID is continuing ongoing. We are further along. I mean, when I think back to when it was 2020 and we're just living in fear, not knowing what this was. So fast forward a year later, we now know what it is, but then we're fighting different battles. Yeah, we're fighting a different battle of figuring out how do we move forward? How do we do that in the safest, most thoughtful and inclusionary way? And it turned to be a, a struggle, a battle for us all. But um, as much pain as I've personally had to endure and face during this time, there again has been so much beauty. There's been unexpected time at home with just me and my family and and unexpected times for other families and friends I've been speaking to who are have crazy work schedules like we do, you know, traveling or touring all the time. And just being able to have a glimpse of life years ago, being at home, talking, eating dinner at the same table with your whole family and just being in the moment. Outside of the outside of the the stress and the unknowns that were related to all the pain these last two years, there are a lot of silver linings that I hope we carry forward into this future we've got for ourselves. And as your fans will now have this opportunity to see you back in the eight oh eight on January first, you are sharing your new album purpose. Tell us a little bit about what went into that. So this album, believe it or not, started in 2020. <laughs> I had a few of the songs written, and we were about to do a tour and then go into the studio, and then everything changed. And the focus on this album is really about not just doing something because we can, not just going through our lives in pursuit of financial goals or fame-oriented goals or ideas of oneself. It's finding your purpose, valuing that, and bringing that forward. There's one song that was really important to us that's on this album. It's called Loving You. And whenever I play that song live, I I start off with a statement. It's, we're going to go through our lives. We're going to meet so many people who don't agree with us, who just disagree for whatever reason. And my challenge to you is to love them. There's there's no one in this world that's not worthy of love, not worthy of being loved, not worthy of being valued. And that's what this song is all about. It's, it's more of a call to stop, breathe, reflect, and see yourself and those people in that person's eyes. I'm also excited. This album also features my daughter, Ida Marie, singing with me on a song called No Wait. And we've got Kelly Slater and Jake Schumacher on that song as well. And it's just, there's a lot of friends, 
reflection, love, celebration, soul, like funky, dancing, everything on this album. And it was a journey to get it all together. And we were really through the roof excited to be able to share all this on January 1st with friends and family in person at the Hawaii Theater. That was Ron Artis II sitting down with the Conversations Lillian Song, catching up with his latest album, Purpose. As we mentioned, he'll be playing tracks from that new album uh, at a concert set for New Year's Day at the Hawaii Theater. Uh, he will be joined on stage by friends and family. We'll share links on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. We've lost a lot, but we'll get through a little more. Don't be afraid, the pain can't hurt you anymore. Well, I keep singing songs and hope that I will see you smile again. Yeah, yeah. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering Master of Science programs including finance, information systems, marketing, and more. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. Nearly 700 of the January 6th Capitol rioters have been arrested. On the next Fresh Air, we talk with Ryan Riley, who's been reporting on how the FBI has tracked them down, sometimes with the help of a large, loosely organized group of independent online sleuths. He's also been reporting on the trials and sentences. Riley is HuffPost's senior justice reporter. Join us. Beginning this afternoon at 3. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Paul Thomas Anderson, the writer-director behind movies like Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood, has a new film opening in theaters tomorrow. It's called Licorice Pizza. It's a coming-of-age story starring Alana Haim, uh, Bradley Cooper, and Sean Penn. Here's a clip from the movie. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? You was maybe going to be my boyfriend. Listen, young lady, you don't bring this idiot to Shabbat dinner here. Listen, Dad, he's an atheist and an actor, and he's famous. But he's Jewish. He was going to take me out of here, Etsy. Don't you even look at me. Don't you even look at me. You're always looking at me. What are you doing? I didn't say anything. What are you doing? What are you thinking, huh? I'm Essie. I work for mom and dad. I'm perfect. I'm a real estate agent. Alana doesn't have her life together. Alana brings home stupid boyfriends all the time. I mean, I knew it. I knew that was what you were thinking. You're always thinking things, you thinker. You thinker. You think things. Mm, Interesting. Well, you know, the poster for Licorice Pizza was released a few months ago. And if you've seen it, you may feel like the artwork looks familiar. That's because it was done by Oahu-based artist Kat Reeder. Reeder grew up in Miami and moved to Honolulu in 2009. Since then, her island-themed artwork has been commissioned by Van's Triple Crown of Surfing, the Sheraton Waikiki, and the Westin Ka'anapali, to name a few. So how was this Hawaii artist chosen to design a movie poster for a major Hollywood film? Well, the conversations, Russell Subiano sat down with Reader in our studio to find out. You know, I've always been curious as to how artists 
get approached for posters. Yep. Was it the marketing company's idea or was it Paul Thomas Anderson? Uh, it How was, did it come to you? It was both from what I understand. Uh, they, the art um, ad agency mm-hmm. contacted us about a year ago uh, on Instagram, through Instagram, and you know, said, would you be interested in in, in doing it, there was not a lot of information at first. Like, mm-hmm. would you be interested in in working on some key art for film? And we said yes, of course. Uh, we didn't have a lot of information to go from at that at, at that point because the movie had just been shot and filmed. And so uh, the main contact was the ad agency. And uh, from what I understand, Paul was very involved from the very beginning. He's one of the you know rare directors that actually is hands on. Mm-hmm in every aspect of of the marketing of everything so he personally was involved in in choosing um my work and i know that they went through um they had a you know a lot of artists that they were speaking to in the beginning and then it just slowly got whittled down to um you know me and one of the artists who did the soundtrack so yeah it's it was just a a they came calling and i was like Yes, and yeah. just figure it out and do it, and it was awesome. Right, that's so exciting to hear. And I've seen the poster for mm-hmm. Licorice Pizza. It's very cat reader, right? <laughs> it's the vibrant colors, the flowy hair, the rosy cheeks. Yeah, it's it's very distinctly you. What was the process like for designing and producing the poster? Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, they well, they initially asked for three concepts and. Um, you know, they said it's going to be, they, they told me a little bit about what the setting was. They didn't, at very first, I didn't know a lot about the story, but they told me it, you know, it revolves around this um, couple, this teenage boy in love with this girl who's a lot older. And they said uh, the setting is going to be uh, California, the valley, and it's going to be, uh, there's going to be some sort of arcade component to it, like the 70s. And they said, you know, we, we, we saw your stuff and you uh, can depict women in a certain way, and so it was like I was already a fan of of Hayam, so mm-hmm. I was like, "What? Of course, you know." So I got a chance to draw them, and so they said, "Just put your spin on this, but just think she she is the center of his universe, like type of thing." So they asked me to to uh, put in a few, uh, maybe three concepts. I think I did maybe five or six because mm-hmm. I was so moved by the idea of a pinball machine and how do I make this a pinball machine incorporated into a love story? And we sort of went back and forth, but there was a lot of back and forth. Uh, And they initially said, hey, let's try one where she's got him in her hands, right? Like, you know, just to be, you know, just let's play with that Mm -hmm. idea. And that was one of the concepts that I, I submitted early on that he loved. Paul really liked that one. So, and then it just... We just kind of mixed and matched elements of the different concepts I'd made into one. Yeah. And how long did that process take? Was it a few months? They contacted me about a year ago, but really we started working in May. Okay. Uh, yeah, because there was a lot. When I was talking to the design team, because I just got back from L.A., we, we were laughing about this because there was a lot of, you know, this like what this like, hurry up and wait. You know, it's like we're going to work. Mm-hmm. You got to do a bunch of work. And now I'm just waiting waiting for them to call and tell me it's it's going through or we need this or so there was a lot of like pushing and then waiting for weeks mm-hmm. and then pushing and then waiting so it it was like in May is when we really started doing the hardcore work Pr- prior to that it was concepts and waiting and 
that type of thing. And uh, yeah, but after May, it was like, that's it. This is my pro- this is all I was doing. I mean, I was working on other stuff, but yeah. this was priority one. It seems like a very classic Paul Thomas Anderson film as well, a very mm-hmm. ensemble film. And if you look at the at the poster, there are there's little circles with yeah. a lot of the different characters in them. When you drew the the characters, all the mm-hmm. characters that are on the poster, did you work from photographs or were you able to meet with any of them in person to, no, to do I ha- that? No, I had to work strictly through photographs and actually a lot of it was stills from the movie and I got a lot of early stills and I had to just kind of figure out what was going on in the movie without seeing the, the, the whole thing. Um, and learning about okay what does each character do like there wasn't a lot of information that they could share with me in the very beginning right because it was really free-flowing I mean even the title you know they went through several uh different titles so it was it was very free-flowing for most of it Uh, a lot of it I worked through uh using reference material from the movie and then some I looked up you know I, I you know these Celebrities and like I, I was like I know what Sean Penn looks like I know so a lot of it's just kind of working by what I believed you know they they look like my own memory of them too yeah. and looking up some reference material I know with Sean Penn uh, we we redid him the first time around I I drew him from a still and they wanted him to look a little more dapper so I had to redraw him and I was like okay how would he want to be presented so. It was a little bit different in that I had to create a portrait without working with the actual client, mm-hmm. which is not really what I do. I usually have input from the client. So th- that was interesting. What about afterward? Did you get any feedback from any of the cast or anything like that? I know they had to sign off. I know a yeah. few of them had to actually sign off. I know, um, I believe Tom Waits is, is is in the film, and he had to sign off on his likeness. I know I had to, um, at the very end, we were kind of scrambling, and, and we had to redo him a little bit um, because they decided to make him more prominent in the in the in the uh, poster. And at first, he was so small that you know we I could sort of get away with being more interpretive. But once we made him a little bit bigger in the poster, we had to really go in there and make sure it really looked like him, and he had to sign off on it. And uh, there was a at the very end, like okay, he, we were all kind of scrambling. Like he needs to sign off on this, and I don't, you know, that's there was a lot behind the scenes happening, yeah. and I would just get the okay, go on with this, or change this. So, but personally, uh, no, I was just kind of waiting to to hear. And I saw some photos and some videos of you in L.A. on your Facebook page. Did you go to a screening of the film? What was I, that like? I was invited to the premiere. Oh, to the premiere. To the official premiere, which is amazing. Yeah, and just. I mean, for any artist of Drink and Troop, it's me being such a, like, I'm easily starstruck, mm-hmm. as anybody who knows me knows this. And the whole idea of just being there. And I've seen, I've looked at these people for a year. Alana, you know, the, the, in the movie, uh, the main character, I've been staring at her. I said, first of all, I'm already a fan. Mm-hmm. And then I'm staring at her for over a year, like every little nook and cranny of her face and her essence. And then to see her in person, like she's standing right there, it was just really amazing. So I got to meet Paul, who was, I mean, I couldn't, everybody was so kind. I did read somewhere on social media that you used to go to the actual licorice pizza stores. For those who don't know what that is, can you share what licorice pizza is? You mean the the original? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, it was, it's not around, but it was a, it was a, store back in the 70s. Yeah, from what I understand, Licorice Pizza was a record store. 
yeah, yes, a record a chain, record, yes. right, in the 70s and 80s in, in yes. a certain area of, of California. Yes, yeah. and yeah, and if you're from there, you're very familiar yeah. with it. And I think it was just that kind of nod to, to like, locals, people that right. grew up in that time, which I thought was, right. I love that. Yeah, if it took place here, it would be called Hungry Ear yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. You grew up in Miami yes. and moved to Honolulu in 2009. Yes. The two cities have a few things in common, you know, being on the ocean, mm-hmm. the warm, humid weather, the mix of ethnicities. In the time that you've been here, I feel like you've been able to capture the heart and the beauty of our people and our islands in a very unique way in your oh gosh, art. Thank you. Yeah. What, what's, your, what's your secret? What, what do you put into your artwork that translates the spirit of Hawaii so well? I think I feel like I've always had a uh, an island soul, like because where I'm from, originally from Peru, it's a very, it's totally not Hawaii. It's very dry. It's the desert. It's it's different. And I feel like I always had this fascination with the U.S. Period, just a fascination. But then once I was in Miami, I felt like this is beautiful, but there's another world that's paradise. There's something else for me, and I got the chance to visit here. 20 years ago and was like this is where my soul lives so I think that I fell in love with the music I fell in love with the the people I fell in love with the women I feel like Hawaiian women or or, you know local women are because it's not not just Hawaiian there's a big mix like you said I love the idea of cultural mixing that's a big part of my my art but there's something about the the loveliness and the and the the charm and and just there's something so warm about the women here just the people and I felt that through my Latin sensibilities, I was able to interpret them, give them a Latin twist as far as the colors and being bold and being unafraid to use these colors and movements and things. But I still wanted to honor local women in a way where they felt like their goddesses are beautiful uh, without sexualizing them, without it just, how do I, how do I write a letter to the women here? And And one thing that, it's always hard for me to explain, but I always think, what is the soul of my art? And I asked myself a question when I started this, like, if Aloha had a face, what would she look like? If Aloha were a person, the spirit of Aloha were a person, what would she look like? And there's only one type of woman that came to mind, right? And that's our island women. like I, that. And I said, I'm, that's who I'm going to draw for the rest of my life. If Aloha had a face, what would she be? Who would she be? And that's what I think people resonate with. It resonates with people. That was Oahu artist Cat Reader talking with HPR's Russell Subiano about creating the poster for the movie Licorice Pizza. Uh, the film opens in theaters tomorrow. And if you do head out to the movie theaters to watch it, be sure to stop and take a look at the box office poster while you are there. Well, that's a wrap for today. Up tomorrow, we'll bring you national programming. Intelligent Squared Debate is Amazon good for small business. I'm Catherine Cruz. On behalf of everyone here uh, at HPR, have a safe holiday, everyone. Stay positive, test negative, and we'll be back next week for more of the conversation. (laughs) 